life that has come with the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, he brought with him the kingdom of God, which brings this new reality. And so for those of us who've repented and believed the gospel, we're now citizens of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is now growing in us and through us. And the kingdom of God, it grows in us and through us in as much as we choose to honor God. Now, to, to get a glimpse of this plan of God, we're looking at the Old Testament right now. Uh, after Easter, we're going to begin, we're going to begin to look through the Gospels and cannot wait to unpack that with you. But, but right now, we're, we're in the Old Testament and this is not easy. I know it's not easy for you to, to receive. It's not always easy to preach because it's a lot. I mean, we're, we're covering large swaths of scriptures and we're giving you a very small taste. It kind of reminds me on International Day at my elementary school, we would have, each class would be assigned a country and then we would all go through the hallway and we would all just get a little bite of something that was from the different countries. And so what, what you're getting is just a little bite of all the genres of the Old Testament. But uh, what I hope that you're seeing is the fact that God had a plan for his kingdom, for the kingdom of God to come. And, and this kingdom is pointing to Jesus. And, and, and we, we have much to gain and much to learn. And, and what we're going to learn today, and I pray that we're able to apply, is that, that God's plan is for us to honor God. It's for us to see him for who he is and for us to honor him. You know, I, I regularly pray the Arianic prayer for you. We end many services this way, but I also pray it for you as, as, as my flock uh, on a daily basis. You know this, where the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is not an incantation. This is a prayer of blessing. This is asking for God to show us his favor. And God shows his favor to those who honor him. It says in Deuteronomy eleven twenty six, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you, uh, that you have not known. You know, as a father, I've taught my children that there are certain things I'm going to provide for them, but there are blessings that they can have if they will honor me and be responsible. We have a maker who is God and, and he is obliged as our maker to provide what, what theologians call common grace, air, sunshine, the capacity to, to live and to exist. But there are blessings that God gives and those blessings are bestowed on those who honor him. Hey, today's focus is on First and Second Chronicles. And, and again, there's a lot here. But, but what we will learn, if we're willing, is that, is that we are called to what the plan of God is that we would honor God. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 17. We're going to be in verses 25 through 27. And Eden is going to come and read this. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And again, we're in... First Chronicles chapter 17 and Eden, why don't you read for us verses 25 through 27. For you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray before you. And now, O oh Lord, you are God, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For it is you, O oh Lord, who has blessed, and it is blessed forever. 
the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eden. Good job, sweet girl. If you would, be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. I love having our children read, don't you? So precious. So precious. All right, so we're, we're uh, in First Chronicles. It's a little bit of background there. First Chronicles was, was actually written as a single book. Um, our, our editors divided it up in two sections so that it would be more consumable uh, for us. We don't know exactly who wrote it. We think Ezra. It was written after the exile took place. So uh, picture the original audience. This, this, this would have been a group of people, God's people, who had come back from Babylon. And, and now they're back in Babylon. And that's why we think it was probably Ezra who wrote it. And, and they're being reminded of something. They're being reminded of what we just read. Is that God is going to fulfill the Davidic covenant. That God is going to keep his promises. That God is a promise-keeping God. That he has a plan. Now, this, this section of scripture was, was, writ, was written primarily um, about the Judites. And we'll talk about this in a minute. But by this time, of course, there had been a northern kingdom, southern kingdom split. And, and so what we're reading about primarily in First and Second Chronicles has to do with, with Judah, the southern kingdom. Now, let's take a quick overview. Go back to chapter 1. And what you'll notice there in chapter 1 through chapter 9 is a, a list. They're just chapters of genealogies. Now, what's fascinating about this list of genealogies is that it begins with Adam. And works its all way up to that day at the writing, which, which in and of itself is pretty miraculous when you consider the capacity to, to be able to know how God had, had been so faithful to his people and to his plan. Now, now, if you look at chapter 10, you'll see what we talked about a couple weeks ago, which is the life and death of, of King Saul and, and his sons, which came uh, as a result of judgment when, when he refused to, 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 to believe and to be faithful to God. Now, verse 11 through 16, uh, I'm sorry, not verse, chapter 11 through 16, what you see there is the Davidic kingdom uh, coming to fruition. It, it, it's important to remember, and I was reminded of that, this, the fact this week, you know, David didn't just come into this kingdom and everything was hunky-dory and everybody was cool with it. It actually took seven years for the entire kingdom to come around and to accept his leadership. And they, they didn't originally have Jerusalem as their capital. So there's a lot going on in those chapters as, as God is establishing David as the king of Israel as he had promised. And so when we come to chapter 17, and let's go there now, David is established. He has a, he has a castle. He has his own house. And what he wants to do is he wants to build a house for God. He wants to build the temple. And, and, and God says something to him. Go to, go to verse 11. Look what God says to him. God says, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. And, and so this, this language, we understand the original readers. We understand that originally that the, that the one that was coming was Solomon. And so that Solomon did indeed receive the, this, this original blessing, but ultimately it was Jesus Christ who received the ultimate fulfillment of this blessing. Don't forget, Jesus did what Solomon did not do. 
Jesus built the household family of God. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Again, notice the language. It's on the screen for you. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, what, what David said to God was, God, I want to build you a house. And God said in, in response there in, in 1 Chronicles 17, no, David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a household that will last forever and ever. And this is the exact language that Paul is using here in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, uh, citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the, of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. We know that the original recipients of First and Second Chronicles were the Judites. We know that God was speaking specifically to David about Solomon at that time. But we also know that ultimately, only Jesus Christ was able to fulfill this promise. Again, Revelation chapter 5, verse 13 I want you to read the last phrase with me. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in, in it, them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might. For how long? Solomon did not reign forever and ever. Jesus Christ reigns forever and ever. And so, yes, we know that Solomon was the original recipient, but we know that Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of this promise of God. And what we're, what we're studying about is not just a kingdom of, of, of this world, Israel. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And what we see is the plan of the kingdom of God. And David's response here, that's what we're going to look very closely at. David's response is for us an example of, of how we are to honor God. There's four things I would encourage you to write down and remember. That, that as we seek to honor God, there's four things that we must do. The first is this. To honor God, I must know the revelation of God. I must know the revelation of God First part of verse 25, for you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. David received the revelation of God. It's the word of God. God has spoken. God had spoken to David. God has spoken to us. The Bible is not man's word about God. This is God's word to humanity. This is God's word. David received the revelation of God. And inasmuch as we receive the revelation of God, so we will know God and we will honor God. The Bible tells us everything we need to know about God, about ourselves, and about reality. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The, the, the Bible is the word of God. And every time you read the word, here's what I would encourage you to do, whether you're reading a single verse or an entire chapter or an entire book or the entire thing. Every time, every time I read the Bible, I ask four questions. And this, these are four questions that you can discuss in, at your dinner table. These are four questions that you can discuss on the drive to school as Asher and I do. There are four questions that you'd always ask. And the first question is this. What does this tell me about God? The Bible tells us about God. Ask the specific question. What does this tell me about God? Second question. What does this tell me about humanity? What does this tell me about our struggles? What does this tell me that we're prone to do? What, what does this tell me about our, our very existence? Why we have value? 
Uh, Why there's so much dignity in the human creature above all other elements? What does the Bible tell us about God is the first question. Second question is, what does this tell us about humanity? Third question, what does this tell me not to do? If we are going to live out God's design, we need to understand that we're living in a dark time, a dark world, a broken world, and there's certain things that we are not to do. And God is so faithful to speak so clearly about what we are not to do. And as you read the scriptures, you need to ask yourself, is there something in here telling me that that this is something I should not do that's for reproof, for correction? And then the fourth question, what does this tell me I should do? What, What is it for training in righteousness that I may be a complete, equipped for every good work? These four simple questions will lead to, for you, all kinds, all kinds of conversations and implications. When you're reading the Bible this way and you're talking about the Bible this way, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit does. He works through his word into your heart and into your mind. And what you'll find as you read the Bible, you'll find the consistency of the scripture. The Bible keeps telling the same story. There is one story. I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible says it. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. We see it from the very beginning in Genesis, the day of the fall. God promises he will send a rescuer. And the rest of the Old Testament reveals the plan of God for the kingdom of God and how this rescuer, this king is going to come. And it's consistent. Scripture is consistent in telling the story. Secondly, there's conviction. The Bible, for those of you who are, who are spirit-filled, there's always conviction. It cuts us. It cuts us. This morning I was in John chapter 10 and the word of God cut me. And I was mindful again of the greatness of the God and the lack of gratitude in my own heart. And I found myself repenting because the word cut me. It convicted me. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It does a work. And then the calling of Scripture. So you'll see the consistency of it. You'll feel the conviction of it. And then you'll sense the calling of it. God, over and over, he's calling us to the same thing over and over. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God, over and over, he's calling us to be like Jesus. He's calling us to be holy. David knew the revelation of God and he honored God for it. The more we know about the Bible, the more we will be equipped, the more we will be equipped to honor God. Secondly, to honor God, I must pray with courage to God. I must pray with courage. Look at the last part of verse 25. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray before you. You ever thought about how it should, and if you understand God rightly does, take courage to come before God? If you don't think it takes courage, I want you to understand that you don't understand the God of the Bible. If you can enter into the presence of God through prayer without any kind of respect or awe or fear, you're probably not talking to the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is terrifying and awesome. He is the Almighty. But we, we can approach him as David did with great courage. It says in Hebrews 4.16, 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come with this confidence. We can come courageously to this almighty God because of the way we come to him. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Look, if you're coming to God because of your merit, if you're coming to God because of your moral standing, you, you cannot come to God with any level of courage or confidence because here's what you know about yourself and what I know about me and what the Bible tells about all of us is that we've all, fall, we'll all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That none of us in our own right have any business coming into the presence of God. But because of Jesus, because our sin is forgiven, because we are spirit-filled, because we're adopted children, we can come before the Father with courage and confidence. Years ago, uh, our family was in Destin, and uh, we went to a place called The Track. It's kind of a, an amusement park, and, and I'd bought tickets, and so I was giving them out. Mackenzie. Jackson, Asher, I'll hold on to yours. And then there was a little boy that I did not know said, what about me? And I just said, boy, I'm not yours. Go find your daddy. Now it took courage for him to come up to a big old bald-headed guy and, and expect something, uh, but it was false courage. It may have been foolishness. Anyone that would come before holy God without the, the blood and the permission of Jesus is entering into a realm that is very dangerous. God is holy, holy, holy. And yet we can courageously come before him as our father. We can come with great confidence and understand you're not disrespecting God when you come to him that way. As a matter of fact, you're honoring God. Every time you come to God the Father in the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, what you're doing is you're honoring His grace. You're saying, you are a gracious God. I'm coming with courage. I'm coming with confidence because I know that you're a gracious God. Second thing is you're honoring His power. You're saying, I know that you can do this. You know, my signature verse, Luke 18, 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so what we know is that, that we can come to God with anything. And please remember this, everything is small to God. We often think, oh, this is huge. I don't know if God can do this. God is bigger than anything you will ever face. Everything is small to God. And so we can come and what we do is we bring honor to him when we come in his, in his grace and we say, God, you have the power. And more than that, we're bringing him honor because we're able to say, and you love me. Whenever you come to God humbly and hopefully, what you're saying is, God, I come because I know you love me that you have bought me with the blood of Jesus. And because of this grace and because of your power and because of your affections for me, I can be courageous and I can come and I can ask what are seemingly big things to me, knowingly small things to you, but I can come. David had the courage to come to God in prayer. And so, so must we if we were to honor him. Third, to honor God, I must believe the promise of God. 
David believed the promise of God. Look at verse 26. And now, O Lord, you are God, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. The, the, one of the reasons why David was praying this and, and the reasons why David was, 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 was responding and, and doing what he was doing is because he had received, he had received the revelation of God. He knew the word of God. And, and that, that word commanded him to pray with courage. And so he's talking to God, but he's talking to God specifically about the promises of God. And so there's this courage that wells up when we know the promises of God. David's belief honored God because he believed the promises of God. You and I have way more promises than David ever had. Think about what David knew of the scriptures. There were very few of the scriptures that were written. You and I have the Old and New Testament. The canon is complete. And we have all of these promises. There's four promises. I don't know what you think about the rest. Let me give you four promises today. And let me challenge you to believe these promises. Believe Matthew 28, 20. Believe this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You are never alone. God is with you until the end of this age, until Jesus Christ returns. And when Christ Jesus returns, new heaven, new earth, we will be with him always to the very end of that age, which will go on and on. But now in this life, for those of us who believe, who honor God, we are never alone. What about John 10, 28? Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you are saved, you are always saved. You don't have the power to break the blood of the covenant of Jesus Christ. You cannot pour, you cannot force, nothing can force you out of the hand of God. You are in the grip of grace. The Almighty has you and he will hold you. Now you may fight him and you may miss much of the great blessings that he wants to bestow upon you, but he will never lose you. You are his and he has bought you and he will love you forever. What about Romans 8, 28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his prom promise, here's uh, to his purpose. God, God takes everything, our pain, our pleasure, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, God's working it all for good. Do not despise the days of small things and do not gloat in the time of, of great gain. In all things, praise God. In all things, know that he is working it for good. Are you sick today? Are you struggling in a relationship? Are there problems with your finances? Do you have more than you've ever had? Are you experiencing gain in ways you never have? No matter what you have, understand God is working it for good. And the good is the blessing of your holiness and his honor. One more. Revelation twenty-two twelve. 12. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Friends, God is going to reward every one of us for the life we lived. Sadly, some of you are going to enter into heaven and, and, the, and, and the God of heaven is going to say, just made it, didn't you? 
Just made it, didn't you? Here's what you want to hear. You want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What you want to see is Jesus pleased, Jesus excited. One of the most powerful scriptures for me is at the end of Acts chapter 7. At the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen has just preached the gospel to the Jewish leaders of his day. And if you'll study the New Testament, one of the things, one of the things you'll find is that Jesus is always said to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. That Jesus is seated. Well, if you read Acts chapter 7, you'll see something. Here Stephen is, he's about to die. He has sacrificed for the glory of Christ. He has believed in the promises of God. He knows the will of God. He knows his calling is to, is to proclaim the goodness of God. And they threw rocks at him. And he's about to die. And he looks up in heaven. And he doesn't see Jesus seated at the throne. He sees Jesus standing Peering down on his servants. Friend, live such a life that when you die, Jesus stands and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't live a wasted life. Don't live a life that doesn't matter for eternity. Don't live a life that, that yes, you enter into heaven. And, and Jesus says, all right. Live a life that causes the Lord of Lords to stand and say, Yes, you sacrificed for the kingdom. You live for the glory of God. You made a difference with the gifts you had, the time you had, all that was given. You made a difference, friends, to the praise of the Father, trusting in the promises of his will, praying with courage, standing with God, believing his word, sacrifice and serve. And last, to honor God, I must pursue the blessings of God. Now look what happens in verse 27. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever before you. For it is you, O Lord, who have blessed and it is blessed forever. Now David was far from a perfect man, but he was faithful to honor God. David believed God. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks. David didn't just believe in God. There's a lot of people who believe in God. He believed God. He believed that what he said was true. He believed that the blessing was to come. And so rather than just say, oh yeah, I've got this great blessing. Isn't that great? Oh, good. I just can't wait to see that blessing come. No, no, no. He pursued the blessing. He knew that the blessing had been given. And so he pursued it. So what do you see David do next? Look in chapter 18. In light of this blessing that is promised, David begins to pursue. He begins to fight against God's enemies. Why? Because he's pursuing the blessing of God. More than that, he begins to make preparations for Solomon to build the temple. He wanted to build the temple and God said, nope, that's not your calling. I made you to be a warrior. There's blood on your hands. You've done what I called you to do. I'm going to have Solomon build the temple. But David didn't just sit on his hands and say, okay, that's, it. that's it. Solomon's job. No, no, no. He prepared the next generation. He started making preparations. That's what you see in, in chapter 22. He's raising money. He's getting the resources. He's making the sacrifices. And then from 23 to 29, he's preparing the people. 
What you'll find there, those of you who love to study leadership and management, you will find some of the greatest tactical strategic leadership anywhere in the world laid out before you right there. What he began to do was to prepare the people to come under Solomon. And David died pursuing God's blessing. Now friends, we who are on this side of the cross, look at the blessing we've received. This is Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the tense. Who has blessed us. Pastor has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Friends, are you pursuing that blessing? Are you fighting the sin that so easily entangles you? Are you doing the work of God? You say, well, what's the work of God? It's the work of God that will provide not only for you, but for coming generations. Well, what is it? It's the simple disciple's life. You see it in the disciple's cross. You gather for worship. You equip for growth. You connect in a group. You serve the church and world. You make more disciples. You live the disciple's life and, and you live out God's blessing in the real world. So many Christians have a hypothetical faith. That's why you have a hypothetical blessing. You have this, this life in God where it's been given, but you don't experience, it's not actualized because you haven't actualized it. James says this in chapter two, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also is faith apart from works is dead. Friends, faith demands works. If it's real, it's lived. If the blessing is there, you pursue it. And, and David pursued this. He honored God. But those who came after him didn't. Go to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles is hard for me to read. You will rarely find people who had received so much do so little. As a matter of fact, they, they went backwards. What you find in the first nine chapters is, is Solomon has allowed false gods to be worshipped in his families. Mom and dad, don't let false gods be worshipped in your home. Teach your children what is evil. Show them what is true and right and demand that they obey. Solomon did not do that. And so after him, Rehoboam, and, and you go to chapter 10, Rehoboam acted unwisely. And under his leadership, the kingdom was divided. From Rehoboam on, what you have are two kingdoms. And so when you read the, the Old Testament from this point on, when it says Israel, it's not talking about all 12 tribes. It's talking about 10 tribes that are the northern tribes. And when you read about Judah, that's the southern kingdom. That's Judah and Benjamin. Judah, Jews, uh, they are in the southern kingdom. And, and, and there's, there's, there's pain. And, and then as you read on from chapter 11 on, what you'll find are a handful of good kings and many bad kings, but the trajectory is down. Here's how you can know the difference between a good king. One, the Bible tells you pretty plainly. Two, it's how they treated the temple. Study first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, and look at how they treated the temple. 
when they disregard God, when they allow idols into that temple, when that temple is not used for the glory of God, rather is used for their own power and pleasure and popularity and, and possessions, they, they ruin it. It's how they treat the temple. Friends, listen to what the New Testament says about us. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You want to know how you are? What are you doing with the temple that, that holds the Holy Spirit? What comes out of that temple? Curses or blessings? What is bestowed upon others? Do you hold everything tight or are you generous? Do, do you honor God? Do you glorify God? Or is it about what you want? Is it about you? You, if you are saved, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. How you use it and how you, how you uh, are stewards of that temple tells everything about your true faith in Jesus. The kings, the ones who loved God, who honored God, who were blessed by God, they used that temple to the praise of his great name. You are the temple. What are you doing with your temple? Well, it's a sad story. In 722, the northern kingdom fell. In 586, Babylon came and destroyed the temple. And God would have been completely just he would have been completely fine to have left, to have left those people in exile, just as with me and you. We were forced out of Eden. We were forced out of paradise because of sin. And every single one of us has continued in that sin that destroyed this planet and destroyed the capacity for us to have fellowship with God. We were pushed out of paradise because of our sin. And God would have been completely just to leave us in darkness and pain and death forever. But he didn't. Instead, God chose to call his people out of exile into his marvelous light. Instead, he came and he rescued. And so let's go to the very end. This may be the only part of 2 Chronicles I personally like. I love it all because it's God's word. But this may be the only section that makes me smile. Go to the very end. This is 2 Chronicles 36. And as you go there, let me explain why this is so significant. Uh, this is the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25, 11. It's on the screen. Jeremiah prophesied to those who were about to go in into exile and some who were already. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Why 70 years? Because the entire time from the day that the children of Israel took occupation of the promised land, they never kept the Sabbath year. They were commanded to use the seventh year as a Sabbath year, and they never celebrated the year of Jubilee. And so here we are, 490 years into the reception of the promised land. Not one Sabbath year was kept. So what did God say? Because you dishonored me, I'll have my Sabbath years. I'm going to have every one of them. And so 70 years, he says, I will have this land be fallow. I will have this land rest. I will have this land the way I said and for you to do it. 
But then look at verse 22, 2 Chronicles 36. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all of his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. And so God says to us today, let those of you who repent and believe the gospel go up. Go up and honor your God. Go up and build a temple worthy of his name. Build a life that shows his goodness and his love and his power. Go up. Go up. But some of you cannot. Because you are lost in your sin and you are dead in your trespasses. Some of you will not. Even though you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, you will not honor God. And you are making a joke of the temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. And that needs to change right now. Let's stand together. Care leaders, if you would, come forward. Father God, your word is clear. Salvation is in Christ alone. And there are some who are here today. I cannot help but know that there are some who are here today who are without the capacity to enjoy your blessing. And they do not honor you because they've never repented and believed the gospel. They've never been saved. They've never entered into that eternal life that you've promised. And I pray that right now that they will talk to you, Lord Jesus, even as I'm praying to you, that they will say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord Jesus, take over my life. Lord Jesus, I want you. I want your life. I want, I want your kingdom in me. I want to serve you. And I pray that right now they would be saved. Friends, if you need to be saved today, there are leaders here at the front who want to talk with you. But Father, I know that there are some, there are some here today who claim you as Savior and King, but their temple shows otherwise. Their temple does not honor you. Their temple is busy in worldly ways. Their temple is not holy unto you. It's divided. Oh friend, if that is you today, repent. Stop living by fear. Stop living so selfishly. Stop being ignorant. Pursue the word. Commit yourself to that right now. And as everyone else is leaving in just a moment, come and kneel here at the front and pray to God. And believe that the Lord will bless you. Because the Lord will bless you and keep you. He will make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. He will lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Oh God, bring your blessing as we go now to live for your honor. In Christ's name we ask it, amen.